Well, good morning once again. Thank you to our song leaders for that. That was great. Well, this morning we resume our studies in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been going through this epistle for some time now, and we finally come to this, as it was said earlier, the love chapter, <laughs> uh, because that is the uh, main subject here in this chapter as we come to it. And uh, we will get to 1 Corinthians 13 before much longer this morning. We're actually going to start another verse momentarily. But we're going to be talking about the supremacy of love. The supremacy of love. Uh, Dad, the fam- uh, excuse me, Dad the Family Shepherd author Dave Simmons uh, once relayed a personal story uh, from his own fatherhood experience. And uh, as I start to tell the story, it kind of dates itself with the, the, the money involved and the store involved. Um, but he w- drove to a local mall with his two young children who were eight and five years old at the time. And when they pulled up to the mall, they saw a big trailer that said petting zoo on it. So a group had come to the mall, set up a petting zoo uh, inside the mall, I believe, with fence and straw and all the animals and everything. And, and so the kids saw that truck, and as soon as they got in the parking lot, they were like, can we go, can we go, please, can we go to the petting zoo? And so he said, sure, you guys can go. So he gave them each a quarter to go to the petting zoo. And... Uh, So they went toward the petting zoo. He went a different direction. He walked into Sears. Are there any of those around anymore? There are very few. (laughs) Poor Sears. But he walked into Sears, and he was in there for a little bit, and he was in the hardware department, and all of a sudden he looked down, and there was his 8-year-old daughter, Helen. And she had a sad look on her face, and he was kind of puzzled. Why are you here and not at the petting zoo? Do you like hardware as much as I do? No, she didn't, obviously. He could see her face was sad, her countenance was down. Um, and she asked, well, what's going on? Why are you doing, what are you doing here? And she said, well, the petting zoo was 50 cents each, so I gave my quarter to my brother Brandon so he could go. And she came back. And she said, and, and just after that, love is action, which was their family motto. They repeated that around their house a lot. And he, as he recounts that story, he says one of the most beautiful things he ever heard, his daughter taking ownership of that value, that virtue of love, loving others, uh, that comes at a sacrifice. And so he kind of wrestled with what he should do. He and her went back to the petting zoo and watched Brandon. And he could have given her 50 cents more, so she could have done it. But he thought it maybe a wiser course, let her taste the sacrifice of love, which would be a lifelong lesson for her to remember that and find her joy in that giving. And so he just let it go, and they watched Brandon finish up at the zoo, and then they all went home together. Uh, I appreciate that story. It's a simple story, but it's exactly the kind of thing we talk about as we get into 1 Corinthians 13. That's what love is. Love ultimately, as the Bible would define it, the way that God loves us is sacrifice. It's, it's a choice to sacrifice for somebody else. That's ultimately what love is biblically. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, we sometimes throw out the word agape. You sometimes hear agape love. And agape, uh, that w- word in the Greek is the word that's used for the way God loves humanity. He gives. He sacrifices. And what is the greatest example of God's love? That he gave his son. 
Romans 5.8, but God uh, it says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gave, God sacrificed, God showed us what love is. That story captures that idea as well. Turn with me to the book of Galatians to begin in chapter 5. The book of Galatians. And I want to begin as we think about the supremacy of love is to get our minds wrapped around the idea that the Christian life, as far as how we live it out, is really about faith working in love. I use that definition because that's a definition that the Apostle Paul uses. Faith working through love. And in Galatians chapter 5, uh, we'll read the first six verses, get a little context, and then get the main idea in verse 6. He wrote to the Galatians, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempted to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Faith working through love. And I want to make the point here that faith is the supreme virtue in the Christian life. Plenty of scriptures, I think, would bear that out. You know, we think of, I, I gave the example a few weeks ago um, when someone came to Jesus Christ and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Thinking he would enumerate one of the ten that are generally thought about, he went back before the Ten Commandments and he uttered something that God had said, that you should love your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And then he said, then you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second one. And so the key word in both those is what? Love. Love from the heart toward God and then toward others. That's what God wants to accomplish in every dispensation of his outworking of redemption in Scripture. He wants to produce love in the heart of his people because that reflects who he is. It's the supreme virtue. It's what sent Christ to the cross. It was his love. The Christian life begins and ends with love. It's not about performance, numbers, achieving higher levels of ministry. It's not about checking things off a list. It's not about winning debates or any such thing like that. It's about loving others as Christ loves. That's what we're called to today. And... This is an impossibility for us to love the way Christ loves, to, way the way, to love the way God loves. That's, we're sinners. <laughs> we have the flesh. We're not going to make it on our own. But it can be a reality in our lives as we walk by faith, and he empowers us to love. That's, that's the secret of the Christian life. You walk by faith, and he gives you the desire. He gives you the ability. He gives you the power to do what he's called you to do, to love others. It's not natural to us. Now, love is not the only virtue. Don't get me wrong. When I say it's the supreme virtue, I'm not saying like, what? who is it, John Lennon, love is all you need? Is that, is that who said that? I don't know. That's not true. Love is not all you need. 
Love is always necessary. That's my second point later. But it's not all you need. But it's the supreme virtue. It must be mixed with everything else to be fully Christ-like. Love must always be in the picture, and it is the supreme virtue. It's the most important. It's meant to exist in harmony with all the other virtues that God puts before us. It's meant to exist in harmony with holiness. Love actually motivates people to grow closer to God and become more like Christ, leaving behind the desires of sin and self. See, love actually can motivate you toward holiness in the Lord, to leave behind the things in your life that hold you back. Truth is meant to be communicated in love. As Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the call to the church there was to speak the truth in love within their own context, but that goes further. Speak the truth in love. Care and compassion should always envelope the communication of truth. Love should always be present when we speak the truth. It was Warren Wearsby who said, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Love and truth are always to be married as we live out the truth and we show love to others. Many Christians, as the Corinthians, whom we'll talk more about shortly, we get more focused a lot of times on ability rather than virtue, what God wants to work out in our own hearts. Now the Corinthians, as we're going to talk about, you know, what we've been dealing with with them is they had an obsession with supernatural spirit sign gifts, right? They wanted to speak in tongues. They wanted to put on a show. They wanted people to look up to them and admire their wisdom and what they could do. And Paul takes them to task throughout this epistle and corrects their wrong thinking. But they were more considered about the gifts of the Spirit than the fruit of the Spirit, which is love joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as Galatians 5, 22 and 23 enumerate. That is the tendency of, of a lot of us. We get more focused on what are we doing, what are we uh, accomplishing, what can we do, rather than what's going on in the heart. Is it love? Is it start with love? And that's the call to the Christian, that everything we do starts with love. I'll remind you what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. We read it earlier in our scripture reading. And it's at the end of the chapter we'll explore in the next few weeks. But he says at the end of that chapter on love, he says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, it's the supreme virtue. It's what God wants to work out in all of our lives. And it, and it does, it motivates, it compels us to want to serve others, to sacrifice others, and to follow our Lord. And love actually is corrective when it's a reality in our heart. It actually steers us the way God would have us go. And it helps us from falling off the edges of the road sometime that we're on and getting caught up and off on tangents and places we don't need to be. And we'll make a couple of points down that line. First of all, that love corrects legalistic tendencies. And that's what Paul is saying in Galatians 5 when we read in verse 6 that it's faith working through love. That's what God is after. That was what he was after in the Galatian church. The Galatians, they were in a different camp than the Corinthians. They're kind of opposite each other. We talk about that. 
the, the Galatians were all about uh, works, making yourself more holy through your own efforts, being justified by the law was their thinking. They were even trying to mandate circumcision upon their people in the church that were Gentiles. Not understanding the grace of God. And they were boasting in that work of the flesh. They were boasting in what they thought they had done for religious sake, I guess you could say. That's where the Galatians are off. The Corinthians are in a different camp, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But love was meant to correct the Galatians, their legalistic tendencies. They were trying to adopt a performance-based salvation system. Seeking to keep some kind of checklist or the Mosaic law. What that does to the Christian is it puts focus on self. And it robs us of our ability to have concern for others. That's what it does. It puts the focus on self. And it robs us of our care, concern, and love toward others. We can become so busy trying to clean up our own lives that we miss the point of loving others, which is what we're called to. And that's what ministry is all about. We can become so focused on performance, we miss the heart of grace. And then that, and sometimes even the way we live can, can, contradict what we're even saying we can go around and tell everybody about by grace it's by grace a lot of churches do that but then you go into their presence and it's about well it can be what have you done for me lately <laughs> it can be more about how do you dress than who you are in christ and all these kinds of tendencies can come out in a, in a practical living that really negate what we're saying in the first place that it's about the grace of god and that's what paul reminded the galatians but again in verse six it's faith working through love, that's what God wants. A heart set free, its response to God is to trust God, and its response to others is to love. That's, that's Christianity, simple as that. That's what it's meant to be. But the Galatians had lost that, getting caught up in the Mosaic Law and circumcision and so forth. There was a story told of a an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur who went to a city and in that city there lived a legend named Hans the Tailor. Kind of funny to think of a tailor as a legend, but this guy was renowned for his ability to make perfectly tailored suits for businessmen and so forth and his reputation was spread far and wide. And so this entrepreneur, when he visited Hans' town, he made sure to get down to his shop and get in there to get measured for a suit. And he went in there, and Hans measured him and got everything down and began to make the suit. When the suit was done, the entrepreneur returned to the tailor's shop. And he went in, and he put on the suit. And as he put it on, he realized one pant leg was longer than the other, and one sleeve was longer than the other. And because he didn't want to offend this local legend... He just went with it. <laughs> he didn't say anything. He just kind of like crunched up his arm and crunched up his leg to fit. And he just kind of like walked out so the suit would fit correctly. He conformed his body to the suit that Hans had made him. And on the way home, he was on the bus and somebody asked him. They saw the suit, thought it looked pretty nice. And they asked him, hey, did, did Hans the tailor make that suit? And he said, yeah, he did. 
And, he, and the guy said, wow, I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was so good to make a, make a suit to fit your deformed body. <laughs> and, you know, that's a picture of what legalism does to the Christian. Legalism is a suit you try to put on somebody else and you're asking them to fit in it, and they're all contorted and, they, and, and trying to fit somebody else instead of being free in the Lord to love others around them. Again, that's something we have to take to heart. But love corrects those legalistic tendencies. Love puts our focus outward on people, and that's where Christ wants it. But love also corrects licentious tendencies for Christians. It corrects this too. And by licentious, we mean you're just letting it go. Give in to the flesh. Do whatever you want to do. And now we come back to where the Corinthians live. The Galatians lived over in the legalism camp. You need to do this and this and this and this or you're not accepted. And in the Corinthian camp, it was like, whatever you want to do over here, it's all good. And they would say, Paul, in the, the epistle of 1 Corinthians, he repeats it back to him at times. You, all things are, prof- or what does he say? All things are uh, lawful, but not all things are profitable. Yeah, Jesus will not condemn you for your actions because you're saved in him. But it doesn't mean everything you do is good or it's profitable, or it's beneficial. And they were getting caught up in licentiousness. Just letting their liberty go unfettered and no consideration for other people. And do you remember all the issues they had again? I mean, what a laundry list. As we, every time we bring it up, they were all divided into groups, following different men. They were, some of them were going to the temples to get meat and eating there amongst the idolaters and giving a real bad testimony for Christ and doing that. <clears throat> they were allowing all kinds of immorality to go on unchecked. Nobody's saying anything about it. It's an awful testimony. And even when it comes to the Lord's Supper, even that was becoming a horror show of the flesh as they were not considering one another above themselves. They were lacking love. They said, we can do whatever we want because of God's grace. And so they sought to do everything they could. And what did they do? They were ruining the testimony of Christ. They were letting sin run rampant in their life. And that's really, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13 now. And we'll spend the rest of our time here. But that's, that's what I see this chapter. This chapter is not just correction for a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. It's actually the correction for everything that Paul's talked about in this epistle. And when we start getting into verses 4, 5, and 6, and he says what love is, the things he says love is are the things they were struggling with in all those other areas, putting themselves first, arrogance, all this kind of stuff. Love's the correction for that. If you love people, you don't get caught up in all that. Thinking back to what he, what he said to the Galatians, he says in chapter 5, verse 14 of Galatians, we didn't read it, but he told them, the law is fulfilled in this, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you just love each other, you'd say you don't need circumcision, you don't need all that stuff. It doesn't do anything for the believer. For the Corinthians, it's the same message, but it's a different problem, but it's the same solution. Paul saw love as the correction for the problems of licentiousness as well. Because the Corinthians were basically putting self over others, allowing all those gross forms of sin and behavior. And Paul 
puts there in the middle of their vision this supreme virtue of love. Again, love takes the focus off self. Love says, what can I do to serve that person? Not what do I get to do because I feel good about myself. I want to do something like they were doing, throwing off any inhibitions and just doing whatever they wanted because they were free in the Lord. But all they were doing, again, was bringing shame to the name of Christ through what they were doing. It's interesting. Paul told the Galatians that they were foolish for thinking that they were made perfect in the flesh. He says that in Galatians 3. He actually calls them foolish. He says, you thought, you you began in the spirit, you began by faith, but now you think you're made perfect by the flesh. He says, that's foolishness. Steering them away from their legalistic tendencies. But interesting, he told the Corinthians something similar back in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, in this epistle we've been studying, He told them, I can't speak to you as spiritual. I have to speak to you as carnal, as babes in Christ. They weren't growing in their walk with the Lord. And what I take away from that is whether one tends toward legalism or one tends toward licentiousness, both are driven by the flesh, by self, and both are devoid of love. Love brings you back where God wants you when you put your focus on loving other people. And I'll add add a sub-point here. One of the things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ in chapter 3. And he talks about how each individual builds on the foundation of Christ in their life. And some are building like gold and silver and precious stones, and some are building like wood, hay, stubble. And he's talking about how they serve the Lord, and and how is it measured before the Lord. And he does give that to them as sort of a wake-up call, like, you got to answer for all this. You know, you're going to stand before the Lord. I mean, what do you want that to be? You know, he puts that, he gives them that kind of wake-up call earlier in chapter 3. And we know that when we stand before the Lord, it's going to be about faith. What did we do out of faith? Romans 14 tells us that whatever is not of faith is sin. It's got to be faith. It's got to be faith-driven. But I, would, I believe from looking at 1 Corinthians 13, when I read Galatians 5, 6 that we did, that it's faith working through love. That what's going to be valued before Christ is when our faith manifested in loving others. That's the work he's going to reward. Where it's faith and love mingled in service to Christ, that's what brings in reward at that time. And I think he had that in mind as he wrote this epistle to them. What you do for self, what reward is there in that? I don't believe Christ is going to reward that. So we can can fall into doing things for the Lord, and we may even be doing the right things. But Scripture challenges our very heart, and it would ask us, what's our motivation? Is our motivation right? Is it faith working through love? Because that's what Christ wants to produce in our heart. That's what the Spirit does in and through each of our lives. He can produce a love that expects nothing in return. Again, sacrificial love, just as God loves you and I. The story is told of a a young woman who regretted breaking her engagement with a young man whose name was Tommy. And she wrote him a letter 
She wrote, Dearest Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. That's, that's love in the world, right? A love that is looking to get something out. And, and that's what a lot of people are looking for in relationships. They're looking to get something out. A lot of people get married for the wrong reason. They're looking, what do I get out of this? You need to go into marriage with the idea, I'm going to bless this other person. I'm going to love them unconditionally. It's going to be sacrificed. It's going to cost me. That's real love. Again, we love without expectation of return. It's not about what I get out of it. It's about what's God doing in my heart. And so love, again, it's the supreme virtue. The Spirit's work is faith working through love in our lives. And love is always necessary. That comes out already. But love is always necessary. It's always necessary. And we go to 1 Corinthians 13 now. And we're going to walk through the first three verses of this passage. And here specifically, Paul is dealing with their infatuation with supernatural sign gifts, valuing these gifts above any other element of the Christian life, not caring how they came across to others, not caring the damage they did to other people's personal lives through the flaunting of their so-called liberty in Christ. They were missing the whole point of love. And Paul has very, very powerful language here. Now, what's funny is we call this the love chapter, and it is about love. And we kind of think about it in terms of the warm fuzzies, and this is probably the passage that gets most read at weddings and events like that. But Paul is in, he's in corrective mode. He's he's having a word with these people. (laughs) He's trying to get them to get the focus off themselves. He's telling them very emphatically, it's not about you in your life. And then he begins to take away the spiritual gifts to show what's left. And what, he find, and what they find is it's, it's, it's all worthless without love. And this, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. Beginning with verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Language without love is noise. Language without love is noise. Now, specifically, Paul is talking about their infatuation with supernatural tongues, the ability that the Spirit imparted there in the first century for the church to be established, a supernatural ability for some saints to instantaneously be able to speak a foreign language without any study so they could reach others whether it was dispersed Jews or Gentiles later, to reach them in a language they could understand. That sounds like God wanting to reach people where they're at and so giving this gift in the early church. But these, these, they valued tongues above all, which is what comes out in chapters 12 and 13. They put tongues at the top of the Christian experience. You and I could probably name churches that kind of, similar, kind of seem to do that today. They put tongues at the top. If you can do tongues, you've got it made. And always putting pressure on people to be able to perform something that we don't even believe that God is doing any longer. 
But Paul, he targets their tongues first. That's why he starts with it, because they valued that first. And Paul kind of sets himself up as sort of a phantom Christian of the Corinthian variety. He sets himself up and says, look, even if I could do the most, it's still meaningless. If, if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he takes it one step further than where they were taking it. They were all about speaking in these other tongues, whether it helped someone or not. We'll see more of that in chapter 14. He said, even if, I, even if I did all that, and even if I could speak in the tongues of angels, without love, what is it? He says, it's noise. It's sounding brass. It's clanging cymbal. It's just bang, 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 bang. It's all the good you're doing. You're just making noise. And that noise is actually distracting people from the Lord rather than drawing them to the Lord, as was intended. And so this is strong language as he takes away their dependency on their flesh and what they value to put it back in a Christ-like focus on love. As a side note, some people wonder about the tongues of angels. Some churches today believe when people speak in tongues, they may be speaking some angelic language that nobody would know because it's not earthly. And whether or not that Paul has in mind an actual language angels would speak is somewhat uncertain. I mean, they must have some way to speak, but we don't know how that works because they're spirits, and we don't know exactly how that works. So it's probably likely that he's using hyperbole to say, even if I could speak in a tongue of angels, that wouldn't make me any better if I didn't have love. It doesn't matter what the ability is. It doesn't matter what someone thinks they can do. It's about what's love doing in your life. What's love doing? It may even be that he's picturing some of the pagan rituals that went on in Corinth at that time. He's dealt with idolatry in this letter. Because some scholars have said that in some of those temple worship times of the idols, they would actually beat on cymbals and play brass to help people get into a trance. And he may be comparing them with the noise they're making to the noise that the idolaters make and saying it's about the same use. It's about as useful as what they're doing over there. Nothing. Zero. That's how useful it is. So he, it's not about that. It's not about what you can do. And I would even think, it's about tongues, but I even think beyond that. Anything we say, even if you can understand what I'm saying, if you take love out of it, how valuable is it? It has to be motivated by love. Otherwise, it's just words. It can become empty. There was once a young boy, story goes, that walked miles to go to church to attend a Sunday school. And on his way, he actually passed a good number of other churches that held Sunday school services as well. And a lady once questioned him as she was inviting him to their Sunday school class. She questioned him, why did, he, why did he pass all these other churches? Surely surely their Sunday school is just as good as the one you go to miles and miles down the road. And he told her, well, they may be as good, but not as good for me. And she said, well, why not? And he said, because they love a person over there. They love a person over there. You see, that's, that's what draws people, is, is when you love them. You know... All of us can get caught up in that idea of, I've got to put a show on, I've got to, 
I've got to win people. I've got to make things look good. It's got to be good. Everything's got to be just right. Most people don't even care, I don't think. But they will, you know what they will remember? Somebody walks in this church. You know what they're going to remember? They'll remember the glimpses of love they saw from the other people. That's what they'll remember. That's what will stick with them. To be fair, and you can relate to this, probably not even going to remember what the preacher said. <laughs> not much of it. Ask me what I preached on last week, and I had to get my notes out. What did I say? I don't remember. <laughs> but there you, go. you remember how somebody leaves you feeling, whether you felt wanted or accepted by that person. You remember those things. Now, I, I believe that this is a body that, that we attract people through love. Not that we don't preach the truth. We proclaim the truth, and that, has, that is an attraction as well. But love, again, that's the supreme virtue. That's what needs to be coming out of our lives. And that's what Paul was reminding the Corinthians of again. Your tongues are worthless without love. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Gifts without love are nothing. He deals with the other gifts that they put pretty high up on the list. He talks about the supernatural gift of prophecy that enabled certain individuals to tell the secrets of God, if you will, the mysteries of God, maybe even very specific to their circumstances, like what God's will was specifically in a certain situation. There's examples of that in Scripture at times. But they could, they could unravel the knowledge of God. They could speak it forth because God was revealing it to them. He's speaking of revelatory prophecy here. Where one did receive direct revelation from the Spirit, which was necessary for the church at that time. He says, even if you can do that, and even if you were the greatest in that category, without love, it's nothing. Without love, it's nothing. And then he goes and talks about a faith that can move mountains. And it seems, again, he's talking about some kind of miraculous gift of faith in which individuals could do certain things for God that's kind of beyond our understanding today specifically of what those things were. But he says even if he had faith and he could literally remove mountains you know, you could imagine if somebody did that today, the whole world would stop what they're doing and would just be like, what's going on here? If any, just one person could do anything like that. And he says, even if I could do something that grand and spectacular in the name of Christ, without love, how valuable would it be? Zero. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. And it's almost like Paul, I think of this in math terms. It's like he's building this equation. Tongues plus prophecy plus faith minus love is a big fat zero. You just keep adding it up and adding it up, but if you subtract love, you have nothing still. No matter a person's abilities, without the Spirit producing love in our lives, it's nothing. What we do is zero. It's zero. And it's not that we may not be doing good things, but devoid of love, they become useless things. I, I think 
of how we relate to our children at times. You know, you, as if you're a parent, you know you, you love your child, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. You just love them because they're your children. And if, you're, if your young child makes you something, perhaps they draw you a picture, it's a stick figure, and you, you, know, you kind of look like you're in Hans the Taylor suit, and, and you know, you're kind of deformed or whatever, and you, know, whatever, and you, may, like, you, you, may, you have to kind of like, politely say, no, who is this? <laughs> oh, that's me. And they make you that, they bring that to you, you see in their heart love for you in that action, and what do you think of that picture? It becomes precious to you. Because it was motivated by their love. It was nothing about their performance, their artistic skill. You're not thinking like that in terms of a parent. You just, wow, thank you for reciprocating love to me through that. And it means the world to you. You know, that's that's the kind of faith and love God looks for in our life. Just, it's not about what we can do. It's simply loving, just showing love to others. When love is behind the action, the smallest action becomes precious in God's sight. In verse 3, as he goes on, he takes it another step. And he talks about sacrifice and giving. And he says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me Nothing. This, again, strong language. Very strong language here. Service without love is worthless, is what the apostle is saying. Service without love is worthless. Even if he gives everything to the poor... If it's not out of love, it's not worth anything. If, even if he gave his own body, now he's talking about sacrificing his own life. You know, and this is interesting because you remember one of the things that Jesus taught the 12 disciples was no greater gift can any man give than what? To lay down your life, the life of your friend. And he said friend there. And then Romans says he died while you were still enemies of God. So he loved you even one more than that. He died for you when you were an enemy. Not you weren't even his friend and he died for you. But, he, but Paul says, even if I give my life, if it's not out of love, didn't count. Now that's powerful. And that's where I bring up, again, the idea of that judgment seat of Christ. It's like We may have a lot of things we want to put out on the table. And faith is required. But what this chapter teaches me, love needed to be what drove it. What was fueling it? Love. Giving and serving others from a motivation other than love renders it useless. Now, I'll say this. It may be better to say it does nothing on my account. It doesn't count for me for anything because I didn't do it with love. It's not going to be something I'm going to be rewarded for if it's not out of love. That's not to say sometimes God still can't use our failings and the things we do sometimes, not that he can't use them and still turn things to good because he's a God that does that too because he loves us. Paul said it would benefit me nothing. It profits me nothing. So again, this passage is meant, was meant to build up in the Corinthians' mind the supremacy of love so they would know as they go forward, if love's not behind it, 
Cease and desist. Get your heart before the Lord. See what's going on in your heart. And let God fill your heart with love and reach out to others. We know it all starts with the love God has for us. That's what unleashes love in my life. Again, Romans 5.5 5 says the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. There's where the love comes from. A story is told of a certain medieval monk who announced one day that his Sunday message would be on the love of God. It was on a Sunday evening. And as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered in the darkness near the altar, as they called it. And the monk lighted a candle and carried it up to their crucifix that they had in their their cathedral. And he just held the candle up to it where it showed Jesus upon the cross. He held it near the crown of thorns. He brought it down to the two scarred and wounded hands down to the hole at his side from the spear, on down to his feet, where also there were nails. And he never said a word. And in the hush of that moment, he simply blew out the candle and left the chapel. Because he felt there was nothing else to say. Now that may not picture you and I how we worship the Lord today, but it certainly gives us that idea. When we look at the cross in our mind's eye, we see Jesus, what he did for us. That shows us what ultimate love is. And if that's real in our heart, it's going to be real in our lives, and others are going to see the love of God coming out in our lives. He's going to fill our heart overflowing so we can love others the way God loves. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and again always the challenge it is as it brings our very spirit and soul before you and to hear what you have to say and lord our prayer is you do continue just to fill our hearts with your love may it be real to us may we experience it on a daily basis lord as it's spelled out in your word may we believe it and trust it and see its work in our lives may the spirit produce your love in us for others so that we are willing to sacrifice, whether it's for our spouse, our children, our co-workers, our neighbors, whatever it is, are we willing to simply love them as you call us to? So, Father, that's our prayer this morning. We praise you for the great God you are, and we say these things in Christ's name. Amen.